Well, hey, Crossroads. So good to see you. Hope you're awake now. I have to be honest, as a pastor, I'm a little nervous coming out after a song that says, I want your money, give me your money. <laughs> you know what people think about pastors anyway, right? But uh, it's, just, it's true, though. So many people think money is what's going to satisfy their lives and make them happy. And uh, we're going to be talking about greed and jealousy today. And sometimes we're, we're greedy and we don't even realize it. Now, we're in this series. We're talking about enemies of the heart. And uh, believe me, we don't want your money. We want your help you give your heart to God. That's why we're here today. And uh, I don't know what we were thinking four months ago when we were planning out our message series. We were mapping out some series, and uh, as we were planning, we got to this little two-week gap here in our planning, and Pastor Paul said, you know what, I've been reading this great book called Enemies of the Heart, and I think we should tackle these subjects in those two weeks. And we're all like, oh, great, yeah, pencil it in. And man, it is, it is just too much to cover it's too much to cover in two weeks. Uh, I have so many things I had to leave out I want to share with you. It's just killing me. And I hope this will get you started thinking about these things and how they infect your heart. Now, the good news for some of you, it doesn't leave me any time to tell jokes today. So if you don't like my jokes, you're going to be really happy, all right? But I got a lot to cover. Now, I want to encourage you, take a moment, just look around the room. Just look at, look at all the different people here. You know, we're all, we're all different. We all got different dreams. We all have different jobs, different interests, different backgrounds. But there's a, just a couple things we all have in common. And one of them is I know that deep down inside, every one of you here today, you long to have healthy, vibrant relationships with the people that are important to you, with the people that matter, with your family, with your friends. You long for that. That's what God made us for. And yet these enemies of the heart, they attack us and they, bring, they do damage to our relationships. And I want to share a concept with you. <clears throat> if you grasp this concept, this one concept, it'll help you begin to, to drill down on any conflict you get into to really go back to the root of the problem. Why are you so upset? Why are you fighting? Why are you quarreling? And so I, I hope you'll take some good notes as you follow along today. There's an outline in your program. And we're going to be talking about your heart. Not that organ, that muscle in your chest that keeps the blood pumping oxygen and nutrients to your body. Not that heart. We're talking about the heart that poets and musicians and pastors and philosophers talk about all the time. The part of you that got broken in high school when what's-her-name said she only wanted to be friends. You know, that part of you that gets nostalgic when you, you hear songs from Leonard Skinner or U2 or Journey or whatever it was you listened to when you were in high school, right? That part of you that swells with pride when your kids do something good. Or, or that part of me that fills with emotions when I really stop and think about my wife Jennifer and how she blesses me and my family. You know, it's just, that's your heart. Your heart is also that part of me that when you go to the movie and you're just getting in, you know, you spend all this money, you're in the movie theater, and you're just getting into the movie, and there's somebody that right in front of you, they keep pulling out their phone and turning on and texting. And you know how bright that light is? And the, the heart is the part of me that just wants to wring their neck. You know, let's just be honest. The heart's the, heart's the part of me, you know, sometimes in the worship service, I, no, nobody in this worship service, of course, but sometimes in the worship service, some, somebody picks up one of those little mints we give out in the lobby with the uh, cellophane wrappers, and they take like 60 seconds to open it. They're trying to be all quiet, and it's like right behind me, and I just want to turn around. That's my heart. Stop it. Just rip it off. That's your heart, right? And, and it's your heart, like, when I'm, when I'm, I'm watching the Warriors, and, and they've got 17 turnovers, and they're leaving Marcus Gasol, and, and this guy, Siakam, wide open on the three-point line, and I'm getting all stressed. 
that's your heart. All right? That's your heart. Not your physical heart, your heart. <laughs> this heart that God gives us, your soul, who you are. And life is hard on your heart. It's really hard on your heart. And, and you know, you're going to have inevitable pain. Things are going to happen. People are going to hurt you and let you down. And if you're not careful, your spiritual arteries will start to harden and your heart will get hard. And a lot of the ways that we react to these things, it's all understandable. It's very understandable, but it's not good. It's not healthy. And your heart is not the way it was created to be. It's not the way God created your heart to be. So let me ask you a question. You might even jot this down on the side of your outline. How are things with your heart? How are things with your heart? When's the last time you really sat down and thought about that? You know, we're all so busy with all the things that have to be done. Bills have to be paid. Meals have to be fixed. Kids have to be driven all over Fremont and beyond. And laundry to do. Bosses to please. And we just we get so busy. We don't think about how am I really doing? How are things inside? And then part of it too is, you know, as children, we weren't really taught to, to step back and think about how's your heart. You know, your parents teach you to, your parents teach you to manage your behavior, right? If you do good things, you get rewards. If you do bad things, you get spankings and timeouts and you lose privileges. Well, at least I did. I was a tough kid, man, let me tell you. So you, you learn how to manage your behavior. And you don't learn how to manage your hearts. And even as adults, you know, when you, when you perform well, when you behave well, there are certain rewards. And that's not a bad thing. But sooner or later, man, there can be some things building up in your heart. And you can manage your behavior for a while, but, but things can go on in your heart. And after a while, if they're not resolved, they can just kind of spill out. It's kind of like when you're walking around with a little bit too much coffee in your mug, right? And somebody bumps into you and it spills out. And you got all this stuff inside and all of a sudden something spills out and you go, where did that come from? I can't believe I did that or I can't believe I said that. That's not like me. You notice things start to slip a little bit. An unexpected outburst of anger. May you ever find yourself getting angry at little things and you go, why am I, you know, part of asking how's my heart is why am I so angry? Why am I so angry? You get an edge in your voice. You get impatient with your coworkers, your spouse, and your kids. And you know you ought to be happy for your friend's promotion, but you're not. And you're not going to tell them you're happy because you're kind of, why didn't I get a promotion? Or maybe it's different for you. Maybe, maybe ladies, some of you, you're, uh, you're just a little uh, upset when you see your sister and she fits in those jeans you can't wear. And you know she looks good in them, but you're not going to tell her. That's a problem with your heart, Right? Or the person who's a better singer or a better guitarist or a better house decorator or whatever it might be. We have these heart issues. And first thing I want to ask you to write down is, I have a spiritual heart disease. The Bible says I have a spiritual heart disease. In fact, I just want you to say it out loud with me. Let it sink in. Because a lot of us think everything's okay. But when we really step back and look, we, we miss it. So say it with me. I have a spiritual heart disease. The Bible puts it this way. This is what God says. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Not a little sick, desperately sick. You might circle that. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and I test the mind to give every man according to his ways. God looks at your heart and mind. He knows that what you think and how you feel, that's going to come out in your actions. And you're going to be judged by your actions. That's why we're so thankful for Jesus because... He paid the penalty for my, my wrong actions. I don't have to live in fear of that. But he says he's going to judge you for your ways. Just as physical heart disease has the potential to destroy your body, so spiritual heart disease has the potential to destroy you and squeeze the life out of your most valuable relationships. 
And most of our heart issues can be traced back to one thing. I mean, there's a lot of things that happen, that legitimate things we get upset about that need to be dealt with. But we find ourselves getting more and more angry and more and more frustrated. And if we dig down, it kind of goes back to one thing. See, when you hear your kids arguing, you're in the other room and you hear them when they're little and they're fighting over something. And you come in the room and you got to figure out who did what to who, right? Who committed which crime to the other kid. And you're figuring out what are they fighting over. And a lot of times they're fighting over one toy. Or one, one channel on the TV or one video game. I mean, they got a hundred other toys, a hundred other channels, a hundred other video games, but they're fighting over one. Why are they fighting over the same thing? Because somebody wants to get their way, right? Somebody's not getting their way and they're not happy. And, once you, and, and they start powering up and now they're fighting with you. I want to have my way. And see, James tells us the root of my disease is number two. The root of my disease is I don't get what I want. I don't get what I want. James wrote this. He said, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Yeah, stop for a second. Go, what do you mean what's causing? There's so many problems, so many issues, so many things I could be upset about, so many things we fight about. But James says, well, they boil down to, basically, if we keep digging deeper, it kind of boils down to some simple things. He says, don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? James says, all our conflicts have one common denominator, these internal desires and conflicts. Some of, them, some of them start from a healthy desire, but they get corrupted by sin. And we have all these internal conflicts, and eventually they work their way to the surface. And if you bump me, like I said, eventually they're going to come out. And so often, when you get bumped, they spill out on the people that you love and care about the most. Because they're the ones who are closest to you. They're the ones most likely to bump up against you. And that stuff comes out, and it damages your relationships. And then James says this, you want what you don't have. You want what you don't have. You want something, but you don't get it. The source of every conflict, if you keep digging back, I didn't get something I wanted. You know, not just a thing, but we all want to be understood. We all want to be unconditionally accepted and loved for who we are. We want people to not hurt us or hurt our feelings. We want people to not let us down. We want people to accommodate us when we mess up. And so when we get, don't get what we want, we manipulate and we maneuver and we try to scheme and work things out. And James says, says it this way. So you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. You know, just picture that little image of the kids fighting in the living room over the, the, the one toy, right? Say, man, you don't get what you want, and you scheme and you fight and you battle. And jealous here means to hotly pursue or strive after. It's a picture of someone who's constantly trying to meet a need that can never seem to be met. And I don't know why when I read this, I thought of Wiley Coyote. You know how he's always trying to get the Roadrunner, if you ever watched that cartoon. I thought of Wiley Coyote. He can never get the Roadrunner. And I also thought, how can James say I can't satisfy my desires? Because there are times I get exactly what I want. There's times when I'm hungry and I eat too much. And then I go, man, I'm really full. I'm, I'm like oversatisfied. But, you know, just three hours later, I'm shuffling into the kitchen, seeing what else there is to eat, you know, because that, that's never fully satisfied, these appetites that we have. James is talking about other unquenchable thirsts that we have, not just our thirst for stuff or money, but our desire for recognition, our desire for, for um, success and progress and fun and relationships and partnerships, and we never get enough of any of these things to satisfy us. Because you know what? While we're trying to get the things we want, everybody else around us is trying to get what they want too. And we're bumping into each other and stuff's coming out. And we have quarrels and conflicts. And appetites grow the more you feed them. The more you get, the more you want. Gluttons 
Scientists, psychologists will tell you gluttons think just as much about food as starving people. People with power want more power. Wealthy people want more money. Men and women who bounce from one partner to the next are never fully satisfied with any of them. And every relationship struggle you've ever, ever experienced, James says, it can be reduced to you and someone else trying to satisfy an internal desire in a manner that conflicts with each other, conflicts with each other. So he says, step back, think about what's really causing all this stuff, all this turmoil inside. And he wants you to own it. He wants you to recognize it because then you can start to address it when you start to see you have a problem. And James says this, it's a solution. He says, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. So James said, first of all, part of the problem is you don't pray to God about these needs you have. He wants you to talk to him about them. And second, a lot of times when you pray, this is like the, the fine print at the bottom of the contract. He says, you pray and you ask, but you pray with wrong motives. You're just thinking about yourself. And you know, God's not going to give you everything you think you need, everything you think you want. Because some of the things, if he gave me everything I wanted, my life would be a mess. He's not going to finance our self-destructive search for meaning outside of him. I mean... God's like our Heavenly Father. It's like if you, if you had a child and they go off to college and uh, they're really enjoying the college life, if you know what I mean, right? They're Friday night parties, Saturday night parties, grades aren't doing so hot, and they keep asking you for more money and you figure out what's going on, you're not going to keep sending them money. You're not going to keep fueling that. And you might even bring them home until they get their head back on straight, right? You're not going to finance your, your child's uh, wild living while they're college careers going out in flames. And God's not always going to give us the things we think are going to make us happy are not always what's going to satisfy us. We think money's going to make us happy. God doesn't want us looking for our happiness and our, our meaning and our purpose in money. He wants us looking for it in Him. And He's not going to satisfy that. Now, you have this, you have this heart that's kind of has, you have this heart disease. And then there's four, four enemies, four reactions we have, four emotions, four enemies that kind of start to to pop up because of this, we're not getting our needs met. And they make things worse. They undermine our relationships even more. They come from these unmet needs. And just real briefly, here's the four things. Anger, it's like there's this debt. Like, I didn't get what I wanted. How could you treat me this way? How could you do that to me? You owe me. You owe me. And guilt is, you know, you feel terrible because you messed up. You hurt somebody else that you care about. And now you have this feeling like, man, I'm, how could I do that? I owe you. I don't want to feel this way, but I owe you this now. Greed is kind of the idea of I owe me. Like, <laughs> hey, I deserve this stuff. I got to go get it. It's all up to me. Nobody else is going to take care of me, and I got to get it. So I owe me. I got to do this for myself. And jealousy really boils down to God owes me. God owes me. And so these are all symptoms of your heart disease, these emotions that begin to percolate inside and they infect your relationships. And you can write that down. These enemies infiltrate your life and they damage relationships. James says they cause conflicts and quarrels. So we need to know how to fight back and defeat these enemies. Now this week we're just going to look at greed and jealousy a little bit. So greed is basically a consuming desire to have more could be things, could be money, could be pleasure, whatever it is. But greed is often fueled by fear. It's a fear that God won't take care of me. There won't be enough. I got to get it for myself. Nobody else is going to help me or look out for me. And so you just start 
holding on to things. It's, it's kind of like the parable. We, we don't have time to talk about it, but you might write down Luke 12, the parable of the rich fool in Luke 12. And it's this attitude like, it's mine. I earned it. I deserve it. It's up to me. And it's, I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to do with it what I want. Now, jealousy or envy, they're very closely related. It's a desire for, for or resentment of what someone else has. So desire for resentment of what someone else has. And it's like the cousin of greed. Like, I want more. I want what you have. Wow, why do you have it and I don't have it? And so you're upset about something instead of being happy for what somebody else has. And they're very dangerous because when we're jealous of someone or we're envious, we start to become bitter or resentful towards them. And, it, and again, it infects our relationships. And so let's look at a classic story of greed and jealousy. When you go back to the Early in the Bible, Genesis chapter 4, remember Adam and Eve, and they, God said, go, be fruitful and multiply. They had some kids. Their first children were Cain, the oldest, and Abel. And here's what the Bible tells us. Now, Abel kept flocks. He was a shepherd, and Cain worked the soil. He was a farmer. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Well, why was Abel's offering okay and Cain's rejected? Well, I think it's because Cain brought some of the fruits. You might even underline some of the fruits. He didn't bring the best part. He didn't bring from the first part. He brought some. And sometimes we give to God like that. It's like, Oh, I want to give to God, but I got to take care of myself first. It's all up to me. I got to, if I give to God, I might not have enough. And so he's not trusting God with his needs. You know, in the Bible, God says, give to me and see if I won't bless you and provide what you need. And so he was holding back a little bit. It's, that's that greed. It's up to me. This is mine. I'm going to decide. But you look at Abel's offering. Some of you might be going, ooh, he brought the fat portions. That's kind of gross. But in a lot of cultures, the fat is like the savory part, the good part. That's like if, you're, if your flocks are fat, that means they're, they're doing well, they're eating good. And, and Abel brought fat portions of some of the firstborn. He brought some of his first produce from his flocks. He brought it to God and he gave him the best out of the first. He, and, and in Hebrews it says, Abel's gift was accepted because of his faith. See, he was trusting God. He was letting go. He wasn't holding on to it. And so, so, so his gift was accepted. Cain was kind of, okay, God, I'll give you some, but I'm going to, I'm, I'm taking care of me. Abel's like, here, God, I want to give you the best. I want to give you, I trust you. I know, thank you for providing this. I know you're going to keep providing for me. And so then uh, the, the story gets worse. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. See, he went from greedy, now he's jealous because Abel got God's blessing and approval, and he didn't. And he wanted what Abel had. And so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Man, can you imagine like, I can't even imagine if one of my kids killed one of my other kids. I mean, this is the first, first two children in the world. And right here in Genesis chapter 4, we're already so messed up because of our diseased heart, because of our greed and our anger and our jealousy. And Cain got mad at God. He was really mad at God. 
God, why didn't you accept me? Why didn't you accept my gift? Why does Abel have this? And he took it out on his brother and he killed him. Now, most of us in this room, we're never going to murder anybody. But Jesus said, when you hate someone, it's like killing them. It's like you're cutting them off. You're destroying a relationship. When you hate someone in your heart, it's like, it's like a murder. And he wants us to have a healthy heart. So let's look at some things we can do. First, remember the Bible always warns us, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do, everything you do, all your actions, they flow from your heart. It determines the course of your life. You know, the success of your life, the success of your relationships, your relationship with God and your relationship with others, is going to be determined by your heart. And so you want to guard your heart. Things can creep in. So the first thing is you practice generosity to overcome greed. Practice generosity to overcome greed. Again, greed says, I owe me. The greedy part believes he's earned and deserves the good things that come his way. And in fact, he deserves more. And I just want to be careful. God is not saying you shouldn't have nice things and you can't enjoy things. But greed is when you're, you're living for those things. You think this is one that's going to satisfy that stuff in your heart. And you just got to keep getting more and more and more. A greedy person thinks he deserves them. The greedy man... He is always, uh, he's determined that he's going to control his wealth and he's going to control his possessions the way he sees fit because he earned them by his smarts or hard work or whatever. And a greedy person believes it's up to him to take care of himself and to get more. And, and greed can lead to overworking, can lead to cheating, all kinds of things that get you in trouble and mess up your relationships. A greedy person doesn't give God credit for what he has or what he achieves. It never crosses his mind that what he's been blessed with is for anyone's consumption but his own. And God wants to say, Lord, what do you want me to do with what I have? Thank you for what you've given me. But a greedy person says, what am I going to do with what I made, with what I got? I hope you see the difference. Proverbs, God tells us this. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Now think about some of the friends you might have. Do you have any generous friends? When it says God will give them more, it doesn't always mean he's going to give them more money. I just notice people who are really generous, it's not just about them giving money or doing things. People love to be around people who are generous because it, it's reflected in their heart and their attitude. People love to be around generous people. I don't know if you have any greedy friends. Do you like to be around somebody who's greedy all the time, thinking about their money and this and that? And, you know, you go to settle up at the restaurant and they get it right down to the penny, you know, and, you know, it's, uh, you know but somebody who's just think, thinking, oh, everything. And, you know, just holding on. And, and greedy people says they will come to poverty. It doesn't just mean they'll have financial ruin, but it affects their relationships with God and with others. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. I want to encourage you, maybe write this question down on the side if you're taking notes. Why do I have so much? See, I'm usually thinking about, hmm, I'd like to have this, and I'd like to upgrade that, and I'd like to do that. And and that's not wrong, but that's where my mind tends to go. I'd like to have this, and I, I want more. I want to, well, God wants us to step back and say, why do I have so much? Why do I have so much? You know, if, if we really think about it, most of us probably have more than our parents had at our age in life. Not all of us, but most of us, many of us. I know most of us in this room probably have a lot more than most people in the world could ever hope to have or dream of having. We've been very blessed. 
And, you know, why did God bless me? Why do I have so much? Why do I, why do I live in the United States? Why do I have all these freedoms and privilege and live in this great economy? Why do I have so much? And you might think, well, God doesn't want you to think it's all for me. Think about it like this. Remember when you were kids, your parents and, and your teachers are always trying to get you to share, right? Teach you to share. And imagine you're at home, you're a little kid, and there are only two cookies left in the whole house. And you're in the kitchen and you get the two cookies, one in each hand. And your mom comes in and she sees you have the last two cookies, and she sees your brother or sisters coming down the hall. What does your mom say to you? Does she say, you better hurry up and eat those, you greedy little so-and-so, before your brother or sister comes grab them. Eat them quick, they're going to get them. What does your mom say? Oh, share, right? Share. Now, not getting to the heart and monitoring your behavior, but God wants us to do that out of our heart. Why do I have so much? Why am I so blessed? Why am I? I don't want to hold on to everything for myself. Now, imagine if you were God for a little while, and you could see everybody in the world, and, and you look down, and you see there's a lot of people in the world that have two cookies, but there's also a lot of people in the world that have no cookies. What do you think God's going to say to you? What do you think God's heart would be? Hurry up and eat them for yourself before they come and take it from you. <laughs> no, he says, share. Help those in need. Help others. And, and I've known people, they're so generous. And it seems like the more they give away, the more God blesses them. They're like his channel of blessing and that generosity. And God just, he blesses that. And so we, we, uh, we defeat greed by generosity. Now, I want to encourage you. Um, just like you can't wait till you're in shape. Say you go to the doctor and you got, your doctor says, oh, I'm a little worried about your physical heart, your muscle. You need to start exercising. Okay, doc, I'll start exercising as soon as I feel better and get in shape. No, it doesn't work like that, right? You got to start where you're at. You got to start, you got to start exercising now. It's just going to get worse. But you can't wait. You can't wait until you can afford to give to give. You can't wait till your fear and insecurity is gone to give. Don't wait till God changes your heart. Giving is one of the ways God wants to change our heart. It's like this exercise he wants us to, we give and it helps us release. And we realize, man, I give. And look, God still took care of me and I give. And you learn to trust God instead of trusting yourself. So generosity helps break that grip of greed. And I want to challenge you. Start giving back to God right off the top. First thing you do is the first money you spend out of your check, give back to God. Now, we believe Bible, the Bible teaches tithing, giving 10%, but maybe you're not there. You're like, my finances are such a mess, or I'm so afraid if I give, how am I going to make it? Well, let me challenge you. You pray about it. You talk to God. You come up with a percent. Maybe it's 2%. Maybe it's 5%. I don't know. And just say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to start giving. I'm going to start giving back to you. And you start giving and see if God doesn't bless you or take care of you. And then you give. I'm not saying he's going to make you rich, but you'll have what you need. And you start, you start giving and, and then maybe make a plan. Like every year you'll increase it a percent or two. You keep trusting and growing. You're giving your generosity capacity. Don't wait. Don't wait. Write this check first or pay, however you do it. Pay your bills. Or do it first. And then you live on the leftovers. Don't wait till the end of the month and give God what you have left over. Give to him first. And put God first and see what he does in your heart and how he changes you. And remember, we're, we're owners. We're not managers. I'm, I said that backwards. We're managers. We're not owners. Sorry. <laughs> it's the allergy medication. We're, uh, we're managers. We're not owners. And if you think about it, one day everything you have and everything I have, you know what's going to happen to it? 
It's going to belong to somebody else because you're going to be gone, right? And so what do, God's given us so much, but he wants us to participate and give back. So generosity. Second thing is you defeat jealousy by celebrating what others have. By celebrating what others have. Greed says I owe me, and jealousy said God says God owes me. And jealousy strikes when we see others have more than we do, or they have something better. It's not always stuff. Man, I'm jealous. I'm jealous of some of you because you can go out in the sun and you don't have to worry about turning bright pink and hurting. I'm just, I like to be outside and like, I'm like, man, I wish I, I, I don't tan. I just turn pink, okay? It's not a very manly color. I'm like, man, why, why, am I, why did God make me this? Why can't I be like you? And, uh, you know, I love to be outside and this time of year I get allergies, my allergies start acting up. I'm like, wow, man, I admire these people who don't have allergies. Or I admire the person who can really sing really well or who can speak better than me or who can do this or do that. They have nicer this or nicer that. And you, you, you see somebody who has something that you don't have or is better than yours and inside you start to resent them a little. Why do they get it and I don't? And the truth is, you're really resenting God. You're really resenting God. See, you want what somebody else has. You think about all the things that you wish you had. And you just, I'd encourage you, you think of all those things, I wish I had this, I wish I had, talk to God about it, pour your heart out to him. And if you have some resentments about it, especially talk to him, it's really, if something's bothering you. And, and if, you, if you're really honest with yourself, what you're saying is, God, why didn't you give me what you gave them? Why didn't you give me the ability to tan? Why don't you give me good sinuses? <laughs> Why don't you give me a better singing voice? Why don't I have a little more money? And, and, and God, you, you could have given me this. Because he could have, right? He could have made you that way. And so you're really, when you're jealous or envious of somebody, you're really, you're really saying, God, you owe me. Why didn't you give me what you gave them? And so to overcome jealousy, you've got you've to rejoice with those who rejoice. We're all one family here as, as a church family. Paul tells us this, so in Christ, we though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Rejoice with those who rejoice. You know who's really good about rejoicing with those who rejoice? I got to hang out with Pastor Paul a little bit this week. Man, if you get something good in your life, he's so, he's so happy for you. Man, he's so, he's like genuinely thrilled. You know, he's so glad and you might not be feeling glad or happy. Somebody, oh, why did they get the promotion and I didn't? But one of the ways you overcome jealousy is you, you start acting your way into a feeling and you say, man, way to go. What a great promotion. What a, what a great job you did with that presentation. What a great job you did. If somebody else's kid does better than your kid on the basketball court, you go praise them. You go thank them. You go tell their parents, man, I was really proud. I was impressed by your son. And start celebrating with those who celebrate. And then the third thing is acknowledge God in his sovereignty. Acknowledge God in his sovereignty. First, acknowledge is a really important word. It means recognize the importance and authority of God. Give him his due or give him his honor. Recognize and worship God for who he is. Acknowledge his place in the world and in your life. Put him first. Failure to acknowledge God opens up your heart to all kinds of spiritual heart disease. I mean, it says it right there in the Bible. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, they thought it was foolish to put God first and honor him, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking. God said, you're not going to put me first and believe me and trust me? Okay, have it your way. I'm just going to turn you over and let you have at it. 
Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. God said, man, when you don't acknowledge me, okay, have it your way. And all these things, man, they, they, they destroy your relationships and what you really want out of life. You have it your way, and it messes you up. It's dangerous when you fail to acknowledge God. He wants you to turn from your foolish thinking and put your trust in him and trust him to give you what you need. He's sovereign. That means he's over everything. He's in control. He sits on the real iron throne, right? God is in control. Jerry Bridges says it this way, God determines not only what abilities we have, but also the degree of those abilities and the blessings he will bestow on their youth. Use. God makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and exalts. God created each person. He gives them the gifts and abilities as he chooses, and he has a purpose and plan for each one of you, and he wants to bless your life and trust him. Just trust God. He's in control. When you acknowledge God, Eventually, it should lead to the conclusion that only he is enough to satisfy your heart's longings. Hope you write that down. Only he's enough to satisfy your heart's longings. All those desires inside of us that we just strive to satisfy, all the debts we feel like somebody else owes us or God owes us, the Bible says God can satisfy the deepest longings of your soul, what you most need, that heart connection with God. See, the psalmist in Psalm 107 says, Acknowledge God. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love for his wondrous works. Give him praise and thanks. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. And he'll satisfy you. And whenever you're wallowing in your feelings that, man, why is my life like this? Why am my life better? I mean, believe me, we all go through it sometimes. Why am my life better? Why do I have so many problems? Why do I have so many struggles? Why couldn't my life be like theirs? God, you owe me. Why isn't things better? Remember that everything we want and believe God owes us is nothing compared to the fact that we've been given what we most needed. We've been given what we most needed. We may think we want all these things, but look what God gave us. Colossians 2. When you were spiritually dead because of your sins. Your heart just wasn't, wasn't just sick. The Bible says you're spiritually dead. Your relationship with God is cut off. You were spiritually dead. You needed new life. God made you alive with Christ, and he forgave all our sins. He canceled the debt, the debt that we owed him, which listed all the rules we failed to follow, and he nailed it to the cross. Man, we're walking around thinking, God, you owe me. Why don't you do this? Why don't you make things better? Man, look what God's already done for you. He did something for you that no one can do. You can't do for yourself. No one else can do it, and money can't buy See, at the heart of greed and jealousy, it's the lie that God owes us. And in the shadow of the cross, it's clear God doesn't owe us anything. We owe him everything. So I want to ask you just take for a moment. I want to give you all a chance just to reflect, to bow your heads for just a moment. No moving around. And just how's your heart? You know, if you've been acknowledging God, if you haven't, talk to him about it. You know, if you've kind of gotten pulled away and caught up in all these things that unmet needs and desires and expecting people to meet needs they can't meet just talk to God and just admit it and ask him to forgive you and help you to put him first and acknowledge him in all your ways and help him to ask him to help you see how he's showing up and blessing your life if you're here today and you've never you've never opened up your heart to Christ and you've never really acknowledged him you, you don't you're still figuring out who he is I just want to encourage you 
If you want to experience that relationship with God, just talk to him. Just say, God, I know I've been living my own way, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry for my sin, the wrong things that I've done. And I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. You paid my debt. And would you forgive me and come into my life and lead me? You just pray something like that in your own words. God knows what you're trying to say. He knows your heart. And he'll forgive you. You may not understand everything yet, but he'll, he'll take you where you're at. And he'll give you life and he'll, he'll help restore your heart. And God, we're so grateful that you hear our prayers. And God, this world gives us so many lies and tells us so many other things are going to satisfy us. The things aren't wrong, but, but they're, not, they're not there to satisfy us. And we look for our satisfaction in other places and we wreck our lives and our relationships. And God, I pray that you'd bring us back. Help us to acknowledge you and live for you and understand that only you can satisfy those longings in our soul. And God, as we turn to you, I pray that you would renew our hearts and you would grow our relationships with others. In Christ's name we pray, amen.